You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. We're going to be in starting off in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 to 13. This is our sort of jumping off into the series verses, and then all of our supporting verses, which there's many of today, more than typical, um, will be on the overhead. That's page 606 in your church Bibles. As well, in your bulletins, you'll see um, in the middle there is a place for notes. There's all the main points and fill in the blanks if that helps keep you on track. So let's read Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 to 13 together. For this is what the Lord said to me with great power, to keep me from going the way of this people. Do not call everything a conspiracy that these people say is a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. Lord, in our day, so many are filled with fear. Anxiety runs rampant in our culture, Lord. The fear of what's going to happen tomorrow is on everyone's mind. Few people can seem to find rest. Lord, there are many conspiracies, many theories, many many people saying what's true and what isn't. But we know in order for there to be a truth and a right and a wrong, there must be a high authority. And we believe you are the high authority, that you are the creator of heaven and earth and that you define what is right and wrong. And although it may not suit all of our opinions, it is still the truth. And so I pray that you would help us as we wrestle through this upcoming series and the topic today uh, to not um, base our lives off of what other people say, not base our lives off our emotions, um, but off the truth, uh, the truth that has stood for thousands of years, the truth that will see us through to the end, the truth that can give us peace in a chaotic world. In Jesus' name, amen. So as Alyssa mentioned we're starting this series uh, called Uncomfortable Conversations. And now it's not bad conversations. They're not hateful conversations. They're not going to be angry conversations, so don't worry. But they may be uncomfortable for different people, depending on the topic, uh, for a few reasons. Well, they might be uncomfortable because we as a society have very much lost the ability to have conversations when we don't all agree what the outcome of that conversation should be. We've lost uh, a part of what a democracy or what holds together a democracy, which is the ability to disagree and not hate each other. We have become a polarized society, especially over the last 10 years. We are a divided, almost completely divided society. Whereas if somebody doesn't believe exactly as we do, we label them a sexist, a racist, a denier, a this, a that. Because when we label people, It almost makes them subhuman. Could be uncomfortable because we often think we have it all figured out, don't we? 
We may think the person sitting next to us doesn't know what they're talking about, but we, well, we've got it pretty much figured out. It may be uncomfortable because we as, as Westerners have lost the ability, or many of us have, to critically think about issues. And not just to hear what somebody spews out and say, oh, well, that must be true, but to critically think. And to critically think is where you take facts, not speculations, but facts. You filter that through uh, what God says is true. You think on those things, and you come to a conviction. And the conviction is what steers your life. You live by your convictions, but we live in a society where not many people have convictions, where truth can be one thing one day, and it can be totally different the next day. And that's not a way to live. But even in the church, many Christians, Canadian Christians, Western Christians, Christians, their theology is more influenced by what the CBC says if they swing more to the left or, or maybe more what Rebel News says if they swing more to the right than what the Bible actually says about life and faith. For some of us, it's culture that, that develops our worldviews, our views of marriage and gender and food and sex and music and hunting and uh, education and church and politics, roles. Those are all more influenced by culture than the Bible for some people. For some, it's your denominational background. You were raised in a certain way, in a, maybe in a certain denomination, and, oh, it can only be that way because, I don't know why because, but that's what I was told growing up. But again, God calls us to be intelligent people who actually think about what we believe and then base our lives off of that. Paul tells us, he warns us in Ephesians or encourages us in chapter 4 uh, not to be uh, like those children. He says, the little children who are tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching of the cunningness, uh, cunning and craftiness and deceit of men. But he says to grow up into the full image of Christ. So that's where we're headed um, over the next number of weeks to talk about some maybe uncomfortable issues. And I thought I'd warm us up this week uh, by talking about an issue you'll see a lot in the news. The title of this week's sermon is The Earth is the Lord's. And we're directly addressing climate change, global warming, which we see every day. It's plastered everywhere. And so, why might you ask, would a pastor talk about that? Well, because it's an issue on your minds. Because it's an issue dominating our society. It's an issue that's bringing much fear and anxiety in people's lives. They're, they're worried about, the scientists said, in five years the world might implode. It might burn up. It might flood. What am I going to do? And so, we're, many of us, living with anxiety that God never designed us to live by, and a lot of us don't actually think about this issue, but we're full of fear when we see a news headline like this, or we become obsessed and start to panic when we see headlines like this, or we can become cynical when we see headlines like this. And we can either swing hard one way, or we can swing hard the other way. And now, a disclaimer, I'm not a scientist. I am not a weatherman. I have a degree in theology and Bible, so I'm not going to give you my opinion, 
because I think we've all had enough of so-called experts' opinions on things. I'm just going to tell you what God has to say on the issue. Because God didn't really ask me my opinion, and to be truthful, he probably didn't ask you your opinion when he gave us his word. But I want you to think critically about the things we're going to talk about, to actually think about them, because they have an effect on your life. And if you're a Christian, filter your views through the word of God, so that we can start to come to some conviction, so that we can become balanced Christians. The world needs some balanced Christians that aren't off in the extremes of, the, of each side, but that can walk out their faith with confidence and with hope. And so the argument goes, and I'm going to very, very simplify the argument, uh, but it goes like this. Scientists, politicians uh, would say that the earth is heating up. Uh, it's, it's heating up at a level that's unsustainable. It's, it's breaking down or it's, it's dying uh, due to industry that we have right now or unsafe industry or unclean industry and overpopulation that the world is too stretched. The planet is. And that drastic action is needed to limit that industry, to make it clean, uh, to limit the population, depending on how far you go. Or the earth will die, it will flood, it will burn up, there'll be no more winter, or it'll be all winter, depending on which side. And we've got big problems. That's essentially a simplified argument of, of what's going on. And both sides will give you their opinions, the extremes, again, one side might say, well, the earth is more important than human beings because the earth was here before human beings and this comes from the evolutionist mindset. The idea that, that the earth is really sort of like a god. You hear Mother Earth. Uh, that the earth is more important than human beings and, and the earth simply evolved on its own. That, that uh, billions of years ago there was this, uh, this electric this uh, power, uh, you call it light, call it whatever you want, but it was spinning at a tremendous speed. They can't tell you where that came from, but it was there, this power, and, and one day it exploded, and, and from that came the galaxies and, and the universes, and in that was a, a big rock, uh, Earth, and an atmosphere formed over it over billions or hundreds of millions of years. And, and over that time, it started to rain and, and the earth was covered in all water. And then eventually, uh, some electricity hit at the right moment. And inside of uh, the water where there was no life, there was life. And out of that life, uh, over millions of years, it, it evolved into some fish-like creature that had gills. But then uh, there was land masses that formed. And, and over that time, uh, those fish-like things, Things evolved and started to breathe, uh, be able to crawl out and breathe. And, and at some point, they started to be able to mate with each other. And from that came everything that you see. It all evolved. And where all the billions of little fossils of the intricate little changes that would need to go from a horse to a donkey or to a cat to a flying leopard, whatever it is, they want to say, we don't know where those fossils are. We can't find them. But they might say that because everything started from that, the earth is more important. Therefore, sacrifice humans if needed. But the other extreme side might say, well, God made the earth, and it's for my use, and it's all going to burn anyway, so let's just use it all for ourselves. Climate change, recycling, pah, 
I'm not having any of it. And of course, there's many different layers of thought in between. And so what does the Bible say about climate change? Well, it doesn't say anything about climate change because the words climate change weren't around a couple thousand years ago when the Bible was written, just like it doesn't say anything about social media or dinosaurs because these are new words. And, and so when we're addressing issues that we see in society, we have to look at what is the, what's it talking about because the Bible has a lot to say about the earth and how it was made and how it will end, but we've got to dig a little bit. And so let's answer three questions throughout the rest of the sermon. First, where did it all come from? Uh, evolutionary scientists would say that it all came from nothing. Random chance, a shot in the dark. Therefore, it made itself. There is no God. There is no right. There is no wrong. There is no truth. There is no eternity. There is no hope except in what humanity makes for itself. The Bible would say something else. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 102 verse 25. Long ago, you, God, established the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. If any of you have ever seen uh, the statue of David, uh, you would know that that's a priceless, one of the most famous works of art ever made, sculptures. Now, its value doesn't come. It's not priceless because it's a piece of white marble. It's priceless because of the hands that sculpted it. That's where its value comes from, that Michelangelo is the one that sculpted it and, and did it with the amazing gifts that God has given him. That's where it gets its value from. And the earth, the Bible tells us, was sculpted by the hands of God, the creator. Therefore, it has value because God made it. Just like each of you are different, uniquely made. You have value, the Bible says. You're not an evolutionary accident. It's not survival of the fittest where I can take from you because that's just following along the evolutionary principles. No, you have value, and the earth has value, but the earth is not God. It is not meant to be worshipped. Proverbs 16, verse 4 says, The Lord has prepared everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of disaster. Everything. God prepared everything for his purpose. That means the earth, which he made, has a purpose. And others, many purposes, but some primary purposes, or, or the primary purpose that God tells us is he created it uh, for us. For us to see his glory, that he's a great and wonderful creator, and for us to look and say, well, all of this couldn't have come from nothing, because something doesn't come from nothing. And so there must be a God, there must be a creator. But not only that, that we could be provided for. Isn't it amazing that everything we have comes naturally? That even if all the electricity went away, we could live off of what there is naturally. That's an amazing gift from the creator. He gave it to us, the earth that is, to steward. Stewarding is a something that a lot of Christians forget about. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let's listen to the language that God uses. 
Then God said, let us make man in, his, in our image, according to our likeness, that they may, will rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth, and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, and all the wildlife on the earth, and every bird in the sky, and every creature that crawls on the ground, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food. And so it was. So let's not miss the language that God uses in verse 28, be fruitful. To be fruitful means in, in its original to cultivate a given resource, okay, something that was given to you, to cultivate that in order to produce a positive outcome. So that's the hope of most parents, that you're going to invest in your children time, uh, skills, tools, uh, money, education, discipleship. And your hope for your children is that they're going to produce something out of all your work fruitful. That they're going to be more givers in the world than takers. And so God has given us this earth and he wants us to be fruitful with it. To take it in its, in its wildness and Make something good out of it. Also to multiply, don't miss that. That means to become many more, to grow in number, to increase. We are to populate the earth. To fill the earth, that means to spread out. Not just be all located in the GTA because it's got great shopping, but move all over the earth and fill God's earth. And to subdue, that comes from the Hebrew word kabash, which means to bring into bondage. Now, that may sound bad to us because we think of bondage as slavery, uh, but we're talking about it in a good way. When, I, when we first moved here about eight years ago, we bought a place on Beatrice Town Line Road. If you've ever been out there, it's, it's kind of a wild Muskokan country, and we bought this old 55-acre uh, hobby farm um, because I thought I was Farmer Joe, and <clears throat> my wife shakes her head, and, uh, and it was wild. Uh, the Owners at the time um, had once had cattle there. It was a cattle farm, uh, but it, they had gotten older, and for almost a couple of decades, there hadn't been any care of it. And so it was a farm by name only. When you looked through the wild trees and the grass and that had taken over, overtaken everything in the weeds, you could see the remnants of a farm. But a wild farm isn't useful. And so over time, I slowly started to bring that farm into bondage and to be cared for, to be brought under control. And that's what God gave us the earth to do, not to abuse it, and then to rule over it, he says. That means to have dominion over it. It really means to be in charge of, to sustain it, to care for it. And sometimes in our Western culture, we get it mixed up again with our animals, right? Some people look at animals as more valuable than, than other human beings. A lot of people, actually, in our days. Uh, <clears throat> I remember seeing this video of this lady. It was on one of those blooper funny animal videos. And 
this lady, she, had, she was out for a walk, and I don't know why she was getting videotaped, but she was, and her dog had one of those hand-knit sweaters on because every dog needs a hand-knitted sweater uh, nowadays, and, and it had just done its business. Uh, and so she got her, her bag out because she's good uh, and doesn't leave it for somebody to step in, and she bends over, and right as she bends over, the dog turns around and it does what dogs do, and it starts to scrape, and it flung up the stuff in the lady's face, and as she's like this, I just thought to myself, whoa, you can tell who's in charge. That dog knows it's in charge of that relationship. But that's not the way God desired it to be or created it to be. We are to be in charge of the animals, to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. It sounds a lot like the language Jesus used in the parable of the tenants, when God's talking about your life, Jesus is, and, he, and he's saying your life, and he says in verse 14, uh, for it will be like a man who goes, uh, a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted them with his property. And then it talks about he gave one three and one two and one one, and he says, go and do something useful with it, and I'm gonna hold you accountable when you come back. And that's the, the parable we talk of, of stewarding, and it's about your time and your talents, but why wouldn't we think the same with the earth that God has given us? That we are called, especially as Christians, to be stewards of the earth that God has given us. And so a steward understands that they've been entrusted with somebody else's property, that it's their job to manage it well in order to produce something good and to care for it. And so a good steward, if you're taking notes, understands it's not theirs. It's not yours, Christians. It's not yours to use and abuse, it's yours to care for so that God is well pleased. A good steward understands that we don't waste unnecessarily. We, we don't waste like some people do their inheritance. Maybe you've met somebody or, or maybe it's one of your siblings and, and your parents or, or their parents worked really hard for something and, and they created something. Maybe it was a house, maybe it was a property, maybe it was wealth and, and then they gave it uh, in their inheritance to their kids. And one of those kids just wasted it because they didn't have any appreciation for it. We're not called to be like that with what God has given us. We're called to be good stewards, to appreciate that. A good steward doesn't abuse. And, and sometimes, you know, evil things happen. But we are never to be Christians, people who abuse animals for fun or make mockery of it. It's God's. He created it. And interesting enough, I was reading uh, Jonah this past week, and, and I had never noticed it, but when, when Jonah's angry because God is sparing Nineveh, he says, God says to, to Jonah, why don't you care about the fact that uh, these people have been saved? Why doesn't that uh, bother you? Why aren't you happy about this? And he says, not only the people have they been saved, but all the animals in that country have been, or in that city have been saved as well. I found that interesting that God brought that up to Jonah. And so a good, good steward doesn't abuse. A good steward also looks to improve, to improve. And you know, I can be that way. I just want to live off the grid. I just want to be away from all uh, this corrupt society. I can swing that way. I'll be honest with you. But I'm also having lived in a third world country, understand what it was like to live in 150 years ago. So improvement is good. I'm glad that we as a society have made improvements. And God would call us as Christians to keep improving the way we live and the way we care for the earth. I don't know if you, if you know what it was like around 1870. The UN, which uh, has the, 
data they would say on this would, would say they, the furthest they go back to is 1850. But they would say in 1870, about 90% of the world's population lived in poverty and was, uh, had food scarcity every day. By 1950, it was 70% of the world's population. By 2000, it was 30% of the world's population. And, and as of now, it's about 12% of the world's population. You know how we got antibiotics and running toilets, which I'm sure we're glad for, and showers, which I'm sure your spouse is, is glad about. All of those things came through improvements. And so we as Christians are called to improve the way we live and care for God's earth or else we go back to the way it is in 1870, which I'm sure none of us want to go back to. And a good steward is allowed to enjoy what God has created. Jeremiah 2, verse 7, I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and its bounty. Notice that. That's why God brought them in, the Israelites. Uh, But he says, but after you entered it, you defiled the land and made my inheritance detestable. God's design is that we care for it, we enjoy it, Christians. Psalm 128, verse 2, you shall eat the fruit of your labor, of your hands, and you shall be blessed, and it will be well with you. And so you don't need to be, feel guilty, Christians, about enjoying what God has given you to steward. But some people, argument number two, would say that animals and trees are more important than human beings. And you may say, well, that's ridiculous. No, that's a lot of people's thinking, that we need to have a big die-off. We need to get rid of modern industry in order to save the earth because the earth is more important than people. But the Bible would say differently. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And a man became a living creature. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, but the spirit of God, the spirit returns to God who gave it. What makes us distinct from all the other animals from all the, all the creations out there, is that we have the, a soul. It's that thing that makes you unique. We have the ability to reason. We have the ability of self-reflection. We have the ability to love so greatly and inflict such evil on this world. We are different. Animals act off of instinct. They don't worry about their RRSPs one day. They don't think how they're going to get revenge on their neighbor We were created and we have a soul. That's what makes us unique. And Jesus didn't come to the earth to die for the trees and to die for the dogs. He came to the earth to take the punishment of human sin upon himself so that he could remake us in his own image, so that he could change us and take out our stony hearts. So humans are more important than animals and trees. Argument number three some would say the, the world has the potential to last billions of years, billions of years past where human beings will die out. And therefore, since we have the power now to either save the earth, see the signs, or kill the earth, if we keep going the way we are, we need to protect it. But is that true? Will the earth last billions of years past humanity? Uh, do we really have the power to save the earth? Well, God makes us eight promises. We'll just quickly go through them. This is from his word, Christians. Seasons will not end until the appointed time. Genesis 8, chapter chapter 8, verses 21 and 22. And I will never again strike down every living creature as I have done. As long as the earth 
endures seed time, harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will not cease. As long as God has determined it until the end time, the seasons will continue. Unfortunately, you will always have winter in Muskoka. Unfortunately, the black flies will always come after winter until the appointed time. Number two, the world will wear out at the appointed time. Isaiah chapter 51 verse 6. Look up into the heavens and look at the earth beneath for the heavens will vanish like smoke and the earth will wear out like a garment and its inhabitants will die like gnats. But my salvation will last forever and my righteousness will never be shattered. Now as I get older, I'm wearing out. And some point I'm going to permanently wear out. And throughout time, humans have lived to different amounts of time. If we were living back in the days of Abraham, I might have lived to 150. I don't want to see what I'd look like. I'm afraid I'd be pretty ugly by 150. But, I, but they would have lived a lot longer than we are. But then in Peter's time and in Jesus' time, Peter would have died a lot sooner than most of us will. The world changes. The seasons change. The earth changes but we will wear out. And it says the earth will wear out. There will be a time when the earth runs down and God remakes it. God has set that time. When it is, we don't know. The Bible says it will wear out like a garment. And, and so as we see it starting to, quote unquote, wear out, we can take confidence that we don't abuse it we're not called to abuse our bodies just because it's wearing out. We're called to care for it. And, and we're called to care for the earth as it wears out. But there are some things that we can't stop that are happening. Number three, the galaxies will end. Psalm 102, 25. Long ago you established the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. All of them will wear out like clothing. You will change them like a garment and they will pass away. Isn't it amazing? Let's think about this. This psalm was written uh, over 2,000 years ago. Okay? So there's the oldest uh, copies of it are about 2,100 years old. The telescope wasn't invented by that time. And yet, God showed the writer of this that the galaxies, the stars, will implode. That new stars will be born. Before they could even look up and see these things happening, and we say, oh, look at the black holes, or, or look at this is how, how the earth started with the star exploding, or, or look at uh, this new star being born. But God told us these things happen. God removes certain stars, and he creates certain stars. This is the amazing God, and eventually all the galaxies will end. Number five, natural, or four, natural disasters will increase as Jesus gets ready to come back. Just as people said Jesus would never come the first time as he had been prophesied about, people say he's not coming the second time as he's been prophesied about. But Jesus said, get ready for this time that's going to come in the end phases of, of the world. And he talks about it in Luke chapter 21. And there will be violent earthquakes and famines and plagues in various places. And there will be terrifying sights and great son, signs from heaven. Jesus knew that in the time leading up to his second coming, there would be this period where it looks like the world is spinning out of control. And so as we see these things increasing, 
We, we can't say oh, humans have the answer. We have to take confidence that although we're caring for God's creation, it's also a sign for us that he's getting ready to come back. Number five, governments will promise they can fix everything as the end approaches. First Thessalonians chapter five, verses one to three. About the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written about. For you yourselves know very well that the end of that the day of the Lord will come just as a thief in the night. When they say, peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman. There is this time, and we can see it shaping up, where governments will unite together, where one person will eventually present the solution. The solution for all humanity's problems. We have it. Peace and security. Don't worry about anything. Number six, it is God who made the world and it is God who will destroy the world. Maybe you've never known that. That it isn't going to be man that destroys the world, that it's God. First Peter chapter three, verses five to 10. They deliberately overlook this. Who's Peter talking about? He's talking about people who would deny that God exists. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago and the earth was brought from the water and through water. Though these, though these of the world have perished in the, when the earth flooded, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Dear friends, don't overlook this fact that the day, one day of the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord does not delay in his promise, as some understand it, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance and faith. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and on that day the heavens will pass away with a loud voice, and the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and all its works will be disclosed. And you can read more about that in Revelation 16. And you might say, well, what right does God have to destroy the earth? Well, he has the right because he's the owner. What right does somebody have to destroy their own pottery? Well, the creator of the pottery. What right does somebody have to bulldoze their own house if they own the house? And as God plans to remake the earth, perfect, without any sin, as the day approaches, he will destroy it. Which leads to our seventh. God will make a new earth. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared for his bride, beautifully dressed. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now amongst his people, and they will dwell with him. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So we want to steward God's land, God's earth well, but we also want to understand it's not going to last forever. Which leads me to my last point. Trust in him and you will be saved. Trust in him. Psalm 46, verse 2. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help 
and tr- in trouble. Therefore, do not fear when the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar in foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. God is the one you should be trusting in. God is the one who wants to save you. Ladies and gentlemen, the answer isn't going to come from Ottawa. The solution isn't going to come from the White House. Davos isn't going to save you. The UN isn't going to usher in utopia. God has a plan. And you can either trust in men, trust in governments, or you can trust in God. Those are the options. But God's plans will not be thwarted. They will not be stopped. He will sustain the things he has created until the time he calls it to an end. And he wants you to have that trust, that confidence. And so maybe you're not a believer and you're here supporting family. And you would say, I don't believe in any of that. Well, someday, if you look around and realize that man does not have control of all of this, remember that that same God is there and he wants to save you and he wants to do what he did for me. Give me a new heart. Give me a new life. For, as he did for Isaac and Haley as he did for so many in this room. So how then should we live as balanced Christians? Not giving into every conspiracy that people say, not giving into fear and being terrified, but being faithful, faith-filled Christians who are a good example to those around us. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, thank you so much that we can trust in your word that when the news agencies put up that the world is going to end next year. When people speculate and are full of anxiety and fear, we can have confidence in you. I pray for everyone in here. I pray that they would look to you, that they would look around and they would see that this can't be an accident. There had to have been a creator and that there's great hope in that creator and that creator loves us and desires us to know him. Help prepare our hearts now as we participate in communion. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.